not very often you get to hear Frank Sinatra segue right into ACDC. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to another Thursday night, and that means it's time for the Ultimate Sports Talk show here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Glad to have you along tonight. This is going to be 60 minutes that is just going to fly by. I almost wish that the show would have been last night, because last night about this time, there are several people that could verify that I probably rang their phones off the hook and they were holding the phone at least a foot, foot and a half away from their eardrums because I was one upset Cleveland Browns fan. And as it turns out listening today, I wasn't the only one. Well, I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along, as I said tonight, for the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. We're going to get into all that and a lot more coming up in just a few minutes. But our guest tonight is going to be the founder and the owner of the website here, UltimateSportsTalk.com, Greg Mitchell. I'm bringing Greg on board because he's going to try to talk me off the 480 bridge and hold me down tonight as we get into this Trent Richardson trade to the Indianapolis Colts by the Cleveland Browns. That's not the only thing that we're going to get into tonight, but before we do all that, don't forget that we're going to talk all sports tonight. We're going to let you know exactly how I feel about things. We're going to talk to the newsmakers, and you can join us all just simply by contacting us at the ultimatesportstalk.com chat room. You can also contact us through the social media through the email, which is dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet. My Twitter address is at ohbbcohost. That's ohbbcohost. We're going to talk tonight about Andy Reid's return to Philadelphia for the first time since he was let go as the head football coach of the Eagles. The Cleveland Indians are still in the race. A boxing legend passed away just a couple of days ago, and of course, the big news is Trent Richardson is now an Indianapolis Colt. We're going to talk about all that on tonight's show, but before we do that, some sad news coming from the New York Giants football camp is going to lead off tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show. John Coughlin, Tom Coughlin's 63-year-old brother, died Monday night at Hackensack University Medical Center, according to the New York Daily News. He was evidently hit by a taxi, and it reportedly occurred after the Denver Broncos defeated the New York Giants Sunday night at MetLife Stadium. John was on the sidelines during that game. Now, Tom Coughlin intends to coach his team against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, according to the newspaper. A wake will be held on Monday for John Coughlin. Funeral services will be held on Tuesday at St. Mary's Church in Waterloo at 10 a.m. And in lieu of flowers, the family has requested donations to be made in John's memory. We're going to give you this address coming up here in just a second. It can be made out to the Tom Coughlin J. Fund Foundation. That's a P.O. Box 50798, Jacksonville Beach, Florida, 32240. Well, last night about this time, I was one unhappy dude. And to be quite honest, I have simmered down just a little bit, but still in all, I find that this trade that the Cleveland Browns announced last night, trading away Trent Richardson to the Indianapolis Colts for a first-round selection in next year's draft, just absolutely appalling. I get the trade, but I don't get the timing of it. I don't understand it, never will, and I am extremely disappointed in the Cleveland Browns front office. Richardson was the third selection by the Browns in the 2012 draft, and it was out of a different regime. Randy Lerner was the owner, Mike Holmgren was the president, Pat Shermer was the head coach, of course, and, and Tom Heckert was the general manager. And they traded up from fourth to third with the Minnesota Vikings to make this deal. Richardson led the team last year with 950 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns, all that on 267 carries. He also caught 51 passes for 367 yards and a score. The rushing total set the Browns' rookie record, which beat out Jim Brown's previous mark 
of 942 yards that was set back in 1957. Browns president Joe Banner and Rob Chudzinski, the head coach, sat down with the media last night after the trade was made and explained why Richardson was traded and where the Browns will go from here. You know, this wasn't something negative about Trent as much as it was the value that we think we got in terms of what we feel we need to do to move the franchise forward and get it to where we want it to be and that we thought that positioned us well to do that. Uh, well, the question was whether uh, he fit the offense and this really has nothing to do with Trent from that standpoint. Um, the opportunity as an organization uh, was there for us to have a chance to get better ultimately and felt like it was right, the right decision overall. You know, we expected Trent to be a, an impact player. Is that going to be tough as a head coach to get these guys to be patient? No, you know, the group that we have in that locker room are, is an extremely competitive group. Uh, these guys understand the business aspect of football. And, uh, you know, I'm a competitive guy, and I expect uh, that we'll have the same expectations, uh, we'll have the same goals, and uh, we're going to play every week to win every week, and nothing's changed from that standpoint. But what are you going to do for a running back? <laughs> We have Chris Obanaya and Bobby Rainey right now. Well, fans have watched sustaining losing for 14 years, so how do you explain to them when the sustaining winning actually is going to begin? You know, I, I really can't get into a critique of what's happened in the past. I'm aware enough of it to totally understand the emotions that the fans are experiencing and the legitimacy of the question. Um, all we can do is what we think are the best decisions uh, to look forward and make this the best team it can be and to position ourselves to be able to sustain that success. This is a broken record. This happens every two years with the Cleveland Browns. The only regime that has lasted longer than two years with the Cleveland Browns is the first one with Chris Palmer, and then they turned the job over to Butch Davis. Butch Davis led the Browns to their only playoff appearance since they returned in 1999. Then came Romeo Crennel. Then came a litany list of the rest of the coaches that have taken over this this job. Eric Mangini was never given a chance by the the Cleveland media. He was a laughing stock from the moment that Randy Lerner signed him to the moment that Mike Holmgren fired him. Mike Holmgren was brought in as the savior to the Browns franchise. Randy Lerner then turns around two years into Holmgren's regime and sells the ball club. What happens? Mike Holmgren is out. In comes Joe Banner and Rob Chudzinski. It's no wonder they hired Rob Chudzinski. Nobody else wants to be a part of this mess in Cleveland. This is an embarrassment. It's like everybody that takes over the Cleveland Browns franchise, whether it's from ownership to president to GM, all the way down to the head coach, they check their brains at Berea at the front door of the Browns facility. They just put their brains in a little basket and say, when the day is over and I'm ready to come home, I'll come back and pick you up and we'll go home. Because every move that any regime has been involved with in this Cleveland Browns franchise has been labeled in a four-letter word, dumb, D-U-M-B. They can't find a quarterback They had a running back. They traded him away. They've tried to find defensive linemen. They can't find them. They've drafted linebackers. They've gone with defensive backs. This has been an absolute joke ever since the Browns came back. I don't know how more plain it can be. If if Roger Goodell really wants to do something, If he wants to stick his nose into everything in the NFL, maybe what he ought to do is check out the definition of parity that the NFL is trying to use right now. Because what Joe Banner and Michael Lombardi and Rob Chudzinski did last night was admit that they're taking the NBA route with this NFL franchise. And that is, we're going to tank the season. Now, There's a rumor going around that they're going to start a new motto that says, Tank for Teddy. Talking about Teddy Bridgewater, the quarterback at Louisville. Frankly, I'm not that thrilled with him, but we'll get in with all that with with Greg Mitchell. But the fact is, here we are. 
It's the second week of the season. We're going into week number three, starting tonight with Philly hosting Kansas City. And what are we talking about in Cleveland? The NFL draft coming up in May. May 8th, to be specific. They've moved it back out of April, in case you didn't know that. So here we go. We've got October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Eight months. You can have a baby in that amount of time. And what are we doing? Our baby for the Cleveland Browns is going to be where are they going to draft and who are they going to draft. And the gestation period has started last night. That's what's going on. And what does that trade for Trent Richardson do? Well, like you heard the media ask Rob Chudzinski, what are you going to do for a running back? Oh, well, we've got Chris Obanaya and Bobby Rainey. Both guys are undrafted free agents. Chris Obanaya has had a heck of a time just getting on the field. Bobby Rainey was cut by the Baltimore Ravens and a plethora of other ball clubs. Nobody even knows who in the world he is. I don't even think they know how to spell his last name. So what did the Browns go out and do? They went out and signed Willis McGahee today. You remember him. He's the former Miami running back, University of Miami, that tore up his knee in the national championship game against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Well, he did pass his physical today, and he will play for the Browns on Sunday. But ask yourself this question. The Browns were depleted at the running back situation already, even with Trent Richardson. If Willis McGahee was so doggone good, why didn't they sign him before they traded Trent Richardson? That's the question. Well, what does the national media think about this deal? Well, let's check in with the Fox crew of Brian Erlacher, Tim Ryan, John Lynch, and Jay Glazer. And let's hear what they have to say about this deal to the Indianapolis Colts of Trent Richardson. Totally shocked. I mean, isn't, isn't Chud's offense North Turner's offense? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think of Emmett Smith in Nord's offense, and I was talking to Emmett up at the Tahoe Golf Tournament, and Emmett, I think he and Trent went to the same high school. Richardson and Emmett said, you know what? I was really good in high school. I've been watching this dude. He's way better than I ever was. Now we know why Carolina didn't value the running game last year with Chudzinski. And this guy fits in any offense. Yeah, really, hey, forget Cleveland, though. For Indy, this is, oh, this is awesome. Huge. I mean, now you got Ahmad Bradshaw and Trent Richardson back there. Pretty good tandem. Yeah, he's one of the best running backs in the NFL, in my opinion. Number three pick in the draft. Uh, good rookie year. I, this is, I couldn't believe when you told me, Jeff. I was like, what? Are you serious? The, yeah. the sky is the limit. And, again, it's kind of hard to bail on a guy with that much of a future this early But it shows career. you what happens when you have regime change. Mm-hmm. You bring you know, a new front office in, a new coaching staff, and they go, that guy's a good player, but apparently they don't believe he fits what they want to do. Yeah, that, just, that's stinking thinking right there. Forget, forget that. I feel so bad for the Browns fans. What about, what about the fans? <laughs> and they just texted me also that they're probably going to go by a running back by committee now up there in Cleveland as well. You know what it also shows you? When you get a franchise quarterback, yeah. like Andrew Luck, you do everything you can yeah. to build around him. Jim Irsay has been, been calling on people. Yep. He wants them protected better. Well, We just talked about it with Sean Payton having said, a quarterback's best ally, a good running game. So they go get Trent Richards. How good are they going to be now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be so much better just throwing him on the office. He's powerful. Right. And, and I think because he's now, Trent Richardson is in that offense, He's now able to really grow how they're right. hoping. Everything doesn't have to be put on his shoulders. You know, and the thing is, you look at it, you wonder if this will spur him because he's a good player. We right. all know that. He's had some health issues here, been banged up a little bit in the NFL, not saying that he can control that. But by going to a good team, it's amazing how guys get healthy all of a sudden when they get other good players around them and they don't have to take the pounding that they had to take on a bad team. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be asked to play a role, not save the team. Right. He's got a quarterback. He hasn't had a quarterback in Cleveland yet, so he's got a quarterback who can throw the football. Go ahead, Jay. And Amad Bradshaw. What a great guy for him to learn from. Matt Bradshaw, we've talked about him. He is about as tough as you get. And what does Amad Bradshaw do? Probably better than anybody else, play through those injuries. He understands the difference about being hurt and being injured. That's something that Trent Richardson needs to learn. And, and that is true. Trent Richardson has had a problem over the 17 games that he's played with Cleveland trying to decide whether or not he's injured or hurt. But I will give him credit. He played last year with injured ribs. Nobody knew about it. And he still rushed for over 900 yards. Meanwhile, in Indianapolis today, they're going giddy. They're so thrilled with having a running back in the backfield to to match up with Andrew Luck. Chuck Magano said today 
that being able to put Richardson into his backfield behind Andrew Luck for the next six or seven years is a dream come true. In fact, at the press conference, Pagano also said he's already been sent messages from two AFC North clubs saying thanks. Now that means it's either got to be the two out of the three have to be Pittsburgh, Baltimore, or the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, it doesn't matter which one of the two two out of the three they are, even one club texting Chuck Pagano, thanks for getting Trent Richardson out of the AFC North. What does that tell you about the mentality of what's going on in Cleveland? This deal now also, in case you didn't realize, gives the Colts two of the top three picks from last year's draft. Andrew Luck was number one, RG3 was number two in Washington, and number three, Trent Richardson. And where are they now? Residing under the horseshoe in Indianapolis. And now, what does this trade do for the Cleveland Browns? Well, it gives them ten selections, including two first-round picks next year in the draft. And they're going to go after their franchise quarterback. Well, who's that going to be? Teddy Bridgewater? I hope not. Johnny Manziel? Not thrilled about him. That's all they need is another drunk on the team to match up with Greg Little to be driving around the flats at 100 miles an hour. Anyway, that that's what's happening in Cleveland. Let's bring in a sane mind here tonight, because I've just gone off the deep end for the first 15 minutes of this show. And let's bring in Greg Mitchell, the founder and, of course, the owner of UltimateSportsTalk.com. Greg, thanks for joining us tonight. Talk me down off the 480 bridge before I take a leap. <laughs> Well, I uh, I wish I could. Um, I guess the the best that I can do is, is pull its strings and try to echo what a lot of ESPN analysts are trying to do uh, right now today and and a little bit yesterday, and say that um, you know the they're trying to position themselves for hope in the future, and I think at this point. That's the best that they can do is hope. Um, I, I don't think they have – they certainly don't have the offense to compete right now. They don't have a quarterback. They don't have a, a backup quarterback, apparently. Um, so they've, they've opted to go to their third-string quarterback uh, for, this, for this upcoming week's game. Um, I, I think they realized pretty quick early on that uh, – you know, Trent Richardson is not the guy. He's not the guy that uh, that they're looking for. And my concern for them, for the Browns organization, is that now they have effectively positioned themselves not in a position of hope for rebuilding or, or putting themselves in a good opportunity for the draft next year, but they now have put themselves in a position where they are worse off as an offensive club than they were two days ago. Uh, well, I, I, would, now... I would agree with you. And I think, Greg, that the, the happiest person right now in the Cleveland camp has to be Jason Campbell because he was bypassed to start a quarterback against Minnesota on Sunday for Bobby Hoyer. And Jason Campbell's got to be looking up to the heavens and saying, thank you. I have nothing on this offensive line. I've got nothing behind me if I'm at the quarterback. And right now, I've got no receivers to throw to. Thank you for going to Hoyer. <laughs> well, I think that's probably true, except maybe Willis McGahee might be the happiest person in the Browns camp now. Because he didn't have a job a few days ago. So, Well, and what was funny last night was you texted me that Maurice Claret would uh, – you know, he's out there waiting to get a tryout. And then about 10 minutes after you texted me that, I hear that Maurice Claret is, is tweeting the Browns asking for a tryout. Why not? They've got nothing else at running back. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's it's funny that um, the two running backs now that are in conversation face off against each other in college in the national championship game. Yeah. I, I think I, that's kind of interesting that, that now they're back in the same type of conversation, but, um, you know, may one day be on the same team. And they, and they could very well be. 
Let me go over some of the talking points that were going around Cleveland radio today. First of all, in your mind, Greg, is Trent Richardson a quality running back? Uh, he was certainly a good, uh, well, I think he was definitely better than good. He was, he was a stellar college running back. Um, he showed signs of being a very, very good, uh, NFL running back. Um, but I think the, the same conversation that, that many had with him coming out, uh, from college is the same conversation they've been having now the last year and a half. He, it's very difficult for him to stay healthy. For whatever reason, he can't stay healthy. Um, so while he is healthy and he's 100%, he's, he's one heck of a running back. Uh, but they're in a position where they need somebody that they can count on every day, and I think they realize that he's not the guy that they can count on. Well, when you've got to count on him, like the Browns were going to have to, because they didn't have a franchise quarterback, that may be the case. But now he's going to Indianapolis where he has got a good offensive line, maybe not the best in the NFL, but a heck of a lot better than what the Cleveland Browns have. And he's got a franchise quarterback in Andrew Luck, maybe one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if not now. He certainly could be in the next two or three years. He's not the focal point of the Colts offense, but he's going to be able to really show his talent now in that that situation in Indianapolis. That that's where he that's where he's at now. I mean, you know, you you've got him being able to do that and 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 let's let's see what happens here. Greg, do you think a franchise quarterback is needed to win in the NFL today? And I think we just lost Greg. Okay. Let let me uh let me continue on here. Maybe we can get are you back. there? Yeah, okay, I'm here. Okay. All right, sorry about that. <laughs> Lost you just for a quick second. Greg, I was asking, do you think a franchise quarterback is needed? Is it imperative to have a franchise quarterback in the league today? Well, it certainly puts a face up to the organization. Um you know, I think that's more often the case that you need a franchise quarterback to win than uh than not i mean uh, it's i i'm struggling at this point to think of well okay so let's consider um you know the favorite espn team the new york jets let's consider that organization so they uh they had a pretty good season a few years ago and they had mark sanchez as the starting quarterback. Now, if, if anyone today would ask, is Mark Sanchez a franchise quarterback, I think they would vehemently say no, absolutely not. So I, I think they found a way to win without a franchise quarterback, um, but to the, to the opposite side of that, I think they also found a way to lose with out a franchise quarterback, and that's what they've continued to do the last couple of seasons. Um, so I, I think you can argue one either way, but the evidence has shown that more often than not, you need a franchise quarterback to win in this league. Well, and when you talk about the Jets, I think one of the reasons that they were able to win with Sanchez at quarterback was, A, they had a strong offensive line. B, they had a short, ball-controlled tempo what passing game and see behind that offensive line they had a couple of good running backs like Ladanian Tomlinson that were able to to gain yardage they were a run oriented team I, I I contend Greg that if you've got a quarterback like a Sanchez or uh, I'm struggling here to a Rich Gannon comes to mind from from years ago you know, I'm looking at other quarterbacks. Sam Bradford, they're trying to put a running game behind him now in order to make him better. You've got uh, Matt Straub at uh, Houston that's got the mm -hmm. two giant running backs behind him, makes him look better. And when you look at these quarterbacks, Greg, and you've got a running game behind them, you can win, I contend, without a franchise quarterback like an RG3 or an Aaron Rodgers. 
Well, yeah, I mean, let's take a look at Minnesota. That might be the, the quintessential example. I, I think they've been waiting for their quarterback to, to kind of turn the corner and be the franchise quarterback they're hoping he can be, and that's not the case. However, they have Adrian Peterson, and they won 10 games last year. So I, I think that proves right there that if you have the right pieces, you can win with that one. But, again, that's not that's not uh, always the situation, and it's more difficult, I think, to have – uh, that type of situation than it is with a franchise quarterback. Franchise quarterback is more often the, the case than, uh, than not. Okay. And getting back to the Browns, what the Browns did in one day was they admitted to the world that Brandon Whedon is not their guy, sitting him down and replacing him with not the second string quarterback, like you said, Jason Campbell but bringing in the third-string quarterback in Bobby Hoyer. So they're going to be searching for a quarterback. They get rid of their running back. The only offensive threat that they've had in a year and two games coming into this season in Trent Richardson. The entire right side of the offensive line is in shambles just simply because they lost their right guard. Nobody realized that Shane Laval was covering up the erroneous play and the lack of talent shown by the right tackle, Mitchell Swartz, of the Browns. And once he went down, they had to put Cousins there, and they found out that Schwartz couldn't block a fly. So now what they've done in one day is they've decided in next year's draft with these 10 draft picks, not only do they have to go after a quarterback, now they have to go after a running back, they need receivers because the only guy that they've got really that can catch the ball is Josh Gordon, and they need a guard and a tackle on the right side of the line. They don't have that many draft picks, Greg. <laughs> yeah, it's going to uh, it's going to be difficult for the Browns to get everything done that they need to fill in all the gaps and holes through the draft and whatever magic they think they can acquire through free agency. And, and, and the thing that also got me was the timing of this. In game two, they're only a game down in the division, Greg. Everybody in this division, the AFC North, has lost a game. Cincinnati and Baltimore are on top with with one and one records. The Browns and the Steelers are in the bottom at 0-2, and after two games, one game out of the division lead, these guys in the front office, Joe Banner and Jimmy Haslam, the owner, want to sit back and tell the Browns fans, the people that brought this franchise back when Modell moved it to Baltimore, the people who spent their money for PSLs when they did come back, the people that continue to buy season tickets, during all these losing years, and they're going to tell these people that after two games, oh, this season is over. It's done. We've just traded away your only offensive commodity. Just trust us. We're going to build this team up. Why should anybody trust these guys? Why should they believe them? Well, let's let's think of this move from a different perspective. So we, you just mentioned the 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 offensive line is a piece that's extremely struggling. The, the entire right side is is in shambles, and Trent Richardson on 31 carries was barely able to get over 100 yards on the year. Um, so if you consider that now they have no quarterback or they've realized that they have no quarterback, they ha- they were in a position where they needed more from – the running back position to make up for poor quarterback play. Keeping in mind that you have no right side of the line, I think that they realized if they gave Trent Richardson more touches, there's a potential for him to seriously get injured. And if he seriously gets injured, he would not only be worth nothing to the Browns, for the, for this season perhaps, but 
perhaps not be worth anything in the future should they wish to trade him. So they could have potentially gotten more value out of trading him and bringing in Willis McGahee and giving him more touches than they would have on a lost season if they if it is in fact a lost season than if they would have kept Richardson. And, and that is a that's a very good point. Matter of fact, I got a tweet earlier today from Mike saying that that same point that just how many more wins is Trent Richardson going to lead the Browns to? And I don't think that that's really the case. I think the case is not so much wins, but the fact that now they've got one more hole to fill. Willis McGahee, it's doubtful, he's going to be back with this team next year. But now you've got a number one pick for the Browns that could conceivably be the first, second, third, or fourth pick. You, you figure they're going to be drafting in the top five after decimating your offense like they have. And then the, the pick from Indianapolis, even though Joe Banner didn't want to think that it was going to be high at last night's press conference, you've you got to understand that Indianapolis is probably going to win that division that they're in this year. And I would say right now, arguably, especially since Ryan Clady has gone down in Denver, Greg, their left tackle, they may be the best team in the AFC right now. Ah, well, that's a possibility. I can see where you can make that argument. And you know, you you look at that. So their draft pick that we're going to be getting from them is going to be very high. It's going to be twenty-five or higher, upwards of, of thirty-two if if they win the Super Bowl. So I mean, is Jacksonville going to take the number three and number twenty-seven pick? Let's just say, and trade it for the top pick. I I don't think so. I think Jacksonville is going to be looking for a quarterback. And quite frankly, here we are. It's it's game three of the season, like I said earlier, Greg. And we're going to sit here and talk the rest of the year about the college football draft coming up in May. And and quite frankly, I love watching college football, but I get sick and tired of talking about who's the top quarterback, who's the top running back. And today, of course, who did they have on the Cleveland radios? Mel Kiper from ESPN telling us who the top draft picks are going to be this year. And we're already in we're only in the third game of the year. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm taking a quick look at some of the running backs throughout the league who will be uh free agents next year. And uh there's there's a couple of names that are a little intriguing. Uh LeGarrette Blount, uh Ronnie Brown, Peyton Hillis, Brandon Jacobs, uh Felix Jones, who currently doesn't have a home. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew is probably the biggest name. Um, Richard Mendenhall, Darren McFadden um, with the Raiders is is another big name. So there's a couple of names there that maybe uh, the Browns might have an opportunity to get. Um, but I, I don't see I, – I see more potential in running back than I do at uh, the quarterback position. Um, you know, quarterback position for free agents. Uh, there's, there's, so there's not a one lot. guy, one guy, Ryan Mallett. That that's who the Browns were interested in before the the draft began. He's a free agent at the end of this year. Mike Lombardi just loves him, and I can see the Browns going all out to bring in Ryan Mallett out of New England. Yeah, I know they've uh, they've been talking about that now for quite a while um, about their interest in in Ryan Mallett, and uh, there was a lot of rumors last year during the draft that that might have been someone that they were were looking to get. But they, I don't know if it was all uh, just rumors or if they weren't able to to get a deal that both sides agreed on. Um, but that that's someone that it's been rumored coming out of Cleveland that they've been interested in as a franchise for quite some time. Yeah, and I think the reason that the Mallet deal wasn't made was because Belichick was asking for a lot, and the Browns knew that Mallet would be a free agent after this season. They could just spend money on him and get him, sign him to a contract after this year, and they wanted to go with Whedon anyway this season just to make sure 
that what they were seeing during the offseason out of him was correct, and that is he's not the franchise quarterback. I always thought, Greg, that, that Brandon Whedon was a terrible pick anyway because it normally takes two or three years for the lower echelon quarterbacks. I'm not talking about a Luck or an RG3 or a Russell Wilson coming into the league. That th- those are those are abnormal abnormal players. But the normal quarterback coming in, it takes two or three years for them to actually get acclimated to the league and play to their top potential. Well, with Brandon Whedon, when those two or three years go by, he's going to be 30, 31 years old, and his career is going to be on the downside. And that's why I was never in favor of drafting Brandon Whedon. Plus, he just seems to have problems uh, making decisions on the field, Greg. He, he doesn't audible. He doesn't check off on receivers. He doesn't look through his, his progressions at all. He locks in on one receiver and sticks there. Uh, he's just not the type of quarterback I don't. I think you can win with. Well, let me uh, let me ask. I, I totally agree, but let me ask one quick question here. There's a couple of, of notable free agents uh, at the quarterback position that come out. The, their contract ends and they become free agents in 2015. Uh, so there's a potential for some of these guys to be dealt uh, from their teams through a, through a trade or completely cut. Um, so here, here's a couple of names, and let me ask you as a Browns fan if you would be interested in signing any of these to, to, to take on that starting role. Matt Castle, Matt no. Flynn. No. Kevin Cobb. No. Kyle Orton? No. Carson Palmer? No. Tom Brady? Uh, he'll never leave New England. I, I think he's he, he's uh, he's there for life. Yeah, I'd take him. No, he'll never come. Well, if if all reports out of uh, New England are that Mallet is uh, is such an incredible quarterback. Could they? Could we not see a potential for a uh, an, a Rodgers and Favre scenario in uh, in New England? Um, that that's possible. But I know Brady has already said he's thirty six, thirty seven years old. Uh, he's already said he wants to play another four or five years. He keeps himself in in great shape. Um, he's he's not a night lifer. He's not a Joe Namath type of guy. Uh, he's a family guy, just the same as Peyton Manning. Uh, Peyton has said that he wants to play another three or four years. So when you're, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to see Tom Brady ever forced out in New England. I don't think you're going to see Bill Belichick pull a Bernie Kosar, let's cut him because he's got diminishing skills, let's face it, on, on Tom Brady. I don't think you'll ever see that. Um but you could conceivably have a, a, a mallet Brady situation, much like what they had in Green Bay. But remember, in Green Bay, Brett Favre had played the "I'm retiring" card for three years, and they grew tired of it. And finally, they they called. They said, "Okay." He he cried wolf in retiring one too many years, and they said, "Okay, we're accepting your retirement." And then he decided he wanted to come back, and by that time they already had Aaron Rodgers in the spot, and they weren't going to let him give it up. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. Um, you know, I I just find this, especially the timing of this Trent Richardson deal. Uh, you know, it's it's just me. Let me ask you a question as we kind of get away from this point, Greg, and and move into what's going on in the NFL this weekend. Andy Reid is coming back to Philadelphia tonight. And at the same time that he's going back to Philadelphia, they're going to uh, retire the number five of Donovan McNabb, who was his starting quarterback for several years, and the two of them took the Eagles to the Super Bowl uh, back a few years ago. Tell me, Greg, is Donovan McNabb, I, I agree that he should have his number retired by the Eagles, but is he a Hall of Famer? 
Uh, I, I don't see any scenario where Donovan McNabb isn't voted into the Hall of Fame. I think he did a lot of a lot of excellent things, and for a long time was considered one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. Um, now, it, whether or not he won a Super Bowl, I think you get into the Dan Marino arguments. Um, and if Dan Marino's going to be in the Hall of Fame, I think you you need to seriously consider Donovan McNabb. Um, he did some excellent things there with the the Eagles, but I don't think another quarterback could have done. Um, you know, there was the year where they had T.O., and uh, that offense was, was perhaps one of the best offenses in the entire NFL, if not the best, and they still weren't able to win a, a Super Bowl. Now, many, I think, put that on the shoulders of, of McNabb, but um, I, I don't see where any other quarterback could have done better than uh, than he did that year. So Great, I, I, I would... Yeah, I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, before before I let you go tonight, Greg, you're an ex-college football coach. And, of course, the NCAA has really come up over the past month with a lot of problems. The Manziel situation and, and now the improprieties going on at Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy and, and Les Miles and and so on and so forth. Just so many things are going on right now. Greg, as a former recruiter, tell us all, are are there too many recruiting rules? Are there too many rules that the NCAA tries to gloss over? Are there too many rules out there that it's just become impossible for football coaches to recruit under? Um, I wouldn't say that there's too many recruiting rules. I think there's too many there's too many examples of schools not following the rules because it's more common that schools are trying are breaking the rules and not getting caught than there are schools breaking the rules and getting caught. So it's not so much that there's just so many that I don't know I don't know all the rules and I don't know that this this is breaking it. I think it's more schools know that they're breaking it. Coaches know that they're doing something wrong, but it's a is it worth it or not? The question and if more schools are breaking the rules and not getting caught, then is the other way around. I could potentially win a national championship now, get a, a serious pay increase, or or go to uh, go be offered a job and go to the NFL. And if I if all of that happens, and a few years later some stories get leaked, and now now that is in question, the school could potentially lose their uh, lose their national championship. But you know what? I got a six figure contract. I've got a ring that says that I was a national champion. I've got everything I need. I know I won that game. Should college athletes from profit-producing sports like football and basketball be paid? Well, I don't think you'll find anyone outside of the uh, the NCAA organization itself who will say that the answer to that question is no. Uh, I think every, for the most part, general consensus is yes. Um, they should be paid in some manner. Um, now, I, you know, I think maybe one public figure you'll hear come out against that might be Mike Golick on uh, ESPN's Mike and Mike. Um, he's pretty, pretty much against players getting paid to play uh, for the same argument that he's always had, that, that these student-athletes are getting paid. They're getting paid in a scholarship, uh, which is true if you consider that that is one method of payment, uh, is getting a free education. However, I, I think what has come out, especially this past, this, the last couple of years, where the NCAA is making buku dollars off of these the likeness 
of these players and they're not getting a piece of that, that, that part of it I disagree with. And I think for that reason and that reason alone, the players, without those players doing what they're doing, the NCAA makes no money. Plain and simple. The university makes no money. How many times have we heard over the last year or two of a university making money off of merchandise with these, uh, with these players' names on it? Or a, a, uh, not necessarily the name, but the number of that player and some sort of uh, comment on the front or back of the shirt that every fan for that school knows that that shirt is for that player. Right, and you're you're alluding to the the football jersey on the NCAA site that on the back of it it was a Texas A&M jersey, and on the back of it instead of saying Manziel, it says football. Yeah, and I'm also talking about uh, the NCAA, um, the basketball season. Oh, was it last year? I think uh, the Louisville player who went down uh, had a season-ending injury in the in the tournament, and they came out with rally T-shirts that uh, you know essentially said, "Let's win this one for him," and nobody saw any dime off of that. Universities should not be able to profit off of their players, not the way that they are. And and to to do something like that and not share a piece of that is is not is not fair to the player. It's not fair to the player's family. It's not fair in any sense of of the consideration of the word. The same same is true with the NCAA and any conference in within the NCAA. If they're making money off of what the player is doing on the field or on the court or uh, on the rink, the ice, whatever, they uh, they should be sharing some of that. No, I I agree totally with you. I I think that's that's a great idea. Hey, one more quick question. I'm looking at the AP Associated Press Top 25 College Football Poll. In the first week of the season, Alabama was number one, and Ohio State was number two. Ohio State won their game, and the next week they dropped to number three. Ohio State beat California last week, and this week they dropped to number four. They're the only school that keeps winning and keeps dropping. Any reason for that? Uh, well, yeah, there's a perfectly good reason for it is their performance against lackluster teams. Um, you know, San Diego State is not even considered one of the uh, one of the best teams in the country, and they they allowed 21 points to be scored against them. Um, you know, Cal, again, should have been a blowout win for the 4A team who was considered top three in the country. And it, I mean, I never got to see the game, but based on the score and the, and the box score, you would seriously consider that they were in that game. Now, yes, they had no Braxton Miller and they were, uh, were hurting at times for that, but, a team that should be fighting for a national championship should not have had that close of a score against Cal. So I think I can I, I can see where the argument is that uh, that they are not in that top three and that they should be going down. Um, however, I also think that this team is about to uh, do something that is extremely rare by going two back-to-back seasons and not winning a national championship in either season. I don't know if that's ever happened, has it? Not that I can remember. I agree with you. I don't think it's ever happened in the history of college football. We'll have to look that up. But I would I, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be very tough for Ohio State to go unbeaten this year. I mean it's it's hard to go unbeaten two years in a row. Well, I, I don't know outside of who do they face in the, within the conference that poses a serious risk. Do they play Wisconsin and Nebraska this year? They play Wisconsin. They don't play Nebraska. Uh, okay. And they do, and they play Michigan. Right, and Michigan almost got beat by Akron. So I, I think I I don't see a scenario where they lose to to Michigan. Um, I was able to see them uh, go against Notre Dame live in person at the Big House, and I 
I was not impressed. Um, I, I like the team. I'm glad that they beat Notre Dame. Um, but I, I don't see where Michigan is at the same level as an Ohio State. I, I don't see it. Well, Greg, we really appreciate your time here tonight talking about the Browns and college football. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. We'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely. Thank you. Greg Mitchell, the owner and founder of www.ultimatesportstalk.com, joining us tonight talking about the debacle also known as the Cleveland Browns. Well, it's week three of the professional football league, known as the National Football League. And let's take a look at what's going to happen in the NFL. And, of course, as I said earlier tonight, Andy Reid is heading back to Philadelphia. He is the all-time leader for the Eagles in most games coached, most wins, most playoff wins, most division titles. And he even coached the Eagles to as many Super Bowls as anyone else. One. That tied with Dick Vermeil. However, one team he's never faced, beaten, or lost to is the Philadelphia Eagles. Brian Billick previews tonight's show between the Philadelphia Eagles and Andy Reid's new team, the Kansas City Chiefs. Years the head coach of the Eagles coming back to Philadelphia. That in itself makes it compelling. And you have two interesting styles. Obviously, what Andy Reid's done in Kansas City with the assertion or putting in Alex Smith at quarterback, they are a steady-paced West Coast offense, high efficiency. Alex Smith is not putting up gaudy numbers. All they do is winning. And then you look at Chip Kelly and all that we've talked about with the high-paced offense. Now, they only ran 50 plays against San Diego at home, still put up some good numbers. Michael Vick, I don't care if he runs 50 plays. I don't care if he runs 70 plays. If he doesn't turn the ball over and he stays healthy, he's going to be pretty good. And that's what he did in their loss to San Diego. This is going to be an interesting game. The big question is the Philadelphia defense. Andy Reid's going to test that defense. They looked pretty good in week one. They did not look good at home against the San Diego Chargers. So I think we're going to see a battle of these offenses. If Kansas City, like San Diego, can keep the ball out of the hands of Philadelphia, San Diego ran better than 70 plays, then that's going to put a little pressure on Mike Vick to even if he can only run 50 plays, put the ball up a lot, Maybe the turnovers start coming that way, but it's going to be compelling either way to see Andy Reid and the Chiefs visit the Eagles. Here's a look at the 1 o'clock games on Sunday for Week 3. Houston will be at Baltimore. Detroit travels to Washington. San Diego is at Tennessee. Arizona is in New Orleans. Tampa Bay at New England. Cleveland, of course, will be at Minnesota. The New York Giants at Carolina. Green Bay at Cincinnati. Boy, that ought to be a fire fire drill right there between the Packers and and the Bengals, and St. Louis will be at Dallas. Now, in the late games, the 4 o'clock games, Atlanta is at Miami. Buffalo will be against cross-state rival the New York Jets. Jacksonville is at Seattle. And Trent Richardson suits up for the Indianapolis Colts. And where does he get to go? Candlestick Park in San Francisco to face the 49ers. And the Sunday night game, it's Chicago at Pittsburgh. That'll be a bruiser. The Monday night game, the Oakland Raiders and Terrell Pryor will be in Denver facing Peyton Manning and the Broncos. Well, there's lots of ho-hum matchups on the college football scenery this weekend. The SEC and the Big Ten start some of their conference schedule. Purdue will be at number 24, Wisconsin, in the Big Ten, while Tennessee travels to number 19, Florida, in the SEC. Yet one independent game starts the weekend out, that seems to be the most important game, and it will be on NBC Saturday afternoon. That's because Notre Dame will host Michigan State. The Irish are 2-1 and one, while the Spartans are unbeaten at 3-0. and oh. Spartans coach Mark D'Antoni has finally settled in on a quarterback after Connor Cook seized the number one spot with a four-touchdown performance in Saturday's 55-17 win over Youngstown State. Fox Sports' Petros Papadakis Previews, Saturday's game between the Fighting Irish and the Spartans. That's why you go to Notre Dame. I mean, you're going to play teams that want to beat you, especially in that area. And Michigan State and Notre Dame are kind of used to playing each other. I wouldn't call it a rivalry game. I would say Notre Dame's rivalry with USC 
that intersectional thing that happens every single year, that is a rivalry game for Notre Dame. This, I don't think it is, and I don't think it's hard for them to get up for it because that's why you sign that letter of intent. That's why you coach there. That's why you play there. When you prepare a football team throughout the phases of the year, you prepare them to go on the road and play. This isn't really about going on the road. It's about going on the road and playing a quality opponent if you're Michigan State. And they finally found a quarterback. It seems the Andrew Maxwell era has ended. Connor Cook, who won the bowl game, is going to be the quarterback. I don't know if they're still good enough, though, to beat Notre Dame right now. Notre Dame's a better football team. They're not as good defensively as I thought they would be starting out. I think they'll get better. Michigan State's a very good defensive football team. But at home, Notre Dame, more identity on offense and more experience with Tommy Reese at quarterback. They beat the Spartans. If this game was in East Lansing, I'd take Michigan State. But I'll take Notre Dame in this game. Elsewhere in the top 25, Florida A&M is at the horseshoe playing the Ohio State Buckeyes. Florida International plays at number 7, Louisville. North Texas is at number 9, Georgia. Idaho State is at number 17, Washington. Number 18, Northwestern entertains Maine. It is Bethune-Cookman at number 8, Florida State. Colorado State plays at number 1, Alabama. Number 23, Arizona State plays at number 5, Stanford. That's on Fox Saturday night. SMU is at number 10, Texas A&M. Savannah State is at number 16, Miami of Florida. Texas State plays number 25, Texas Tech. Auburn is at number 6, LSU. Number 15, Michigan is at Connecticut. And New Mexico State plays at number 13, UCLA on the Pac-12 network. That's a look at what's going on in college football. And some more sad news out of the sports world tonight before we wrap things up. Ken Norton, who fought three memorable fights with Muhammad Ali, breaking his jaw and winning their final bout, then losing twice, and who went on to become the World Boxing Council heavyweight champion, died on Wednesday in Las Vegas. He was 70 years old. His death was confirmed by his son, Ken Jr., who's an assistant coach with the NFL Seattle Seahawks and was a pro linebacker for 13 seasons, most notably with the 49ers. Norton had been in poor health for several years after sustaining a series of strokes. Norton acted in many movies along with his boxing career, most notably the 1975 Hollywood film Mandingo, in which he played the slave Mehdi, who was trained to fight by his owner. Norton's career record, 42 wins, 33 by knockout. He had seven losses and one draw. A couple of other quick notes here on tonight's show. The baseball pennant races are heating up. There are some key series this weekend, including the Houston Astros at Cleveland Indians. The Indians are just a half a game out of the wild card spot in the American League with just one week to go in the season. Cincinnati is at Pittsburgh. They're battling for the top spot in the National League Central Division. Baltimore at Tampa Bay, both those clubs looking for a playoff berth in the wild card situation. And the Rangers are at the Royals. They're also looking for wild card possibilities. And during the last homestand in the legendary career of Yankees closer Mariano Rivera, the Yankees will become the first team in Major League Baseball history to honor an active player on their cap. The special caps will be worn during Sunday's game against the Giants this weekend. Prior to the game, the Yankees will have a ceremony honoring the career of the greatest closer in history. I say arguably, many would say, I'm nuts. Finally, out of the NBA today, Cleveland Cavaliers rookie forward Anthony Bennett, the number one pick in the June NBA draft, resumed playing five-on-five basketball this week. Bennett had surgery May 8th to repair a torn left rotator cuff that was expected to keep him out for four months. The former UNLV star was not able to play for the Cavs during their summer league action in Las Vegas because of the injury, but he did start playing five-on-five without any restrictions this week. Other news for the Cavs? Well, it appears Andrew Bynum may not be healthy after all. Reports came out yesterday that he could miss the entire preseason after missing the entire 2012-13 season. We don't know how ready for basketball he'll be anytime soon or how quickly he'll be back on the court. Of course, he was the big free agent acquisition for the Cavaliers during the off season. That's going to do it for our Ultimate Sports Talk show tonight. 
Thanks for joining us this evening, and thanks for Greg Mitchell for being our guest here this evening. Don't forget, coming up on Monday night, it's the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. That's Monday night at 9 o'clock. Mark Donahue and I will talk about the final week of the regular season for the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Of course, we're going to be back next Thursday night at 7 o'clock with more Ultimate Sports Talk. You can join us then. Once again, our thanks to Greg Mitchell. Our thanks for you for tweeting us all the info this evening and emailing us and for listening here tonight. For Greg, I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Until next Thursday night at 7 o'clock, have a good week, everybody. Good night. Good night.